Verse number 3 of Isaiah chapter 61 is my text this morning. Thank you ladies for that wonderful song. The world still rejoices, still celebrates that Christ was born. It's interesting words where the Bible says in verse number 3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, notice this phrase, to give unto them beauty for ashes. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the preaching of your word this morning. I desire to bring honor and glory to you. You said, Lord, if you would be lifted up, you would draw all men to you. My heart's desire is to hide behind the cross. Lord, that I may lift you up. Lord, what you have done for us and do and how you love us. I pray for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit as I preach this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. From the beginning of the Word of God to the end of the Revelation, the Bible is a book of redemption. One story after another, one beautiful story after another, one amazing story of redemption, one after the other. When there was no hope, when there was no help, the Lord Jesus would step into the picture and bring hope from despair, light out of darkness, joy out of sorrow, and in this passage of Scripture, beauty for nothing more than ashes. In our text passage, and I'll explain the prophecy in just a moment, we have one of the most beautiful pictures of redemption in all the Bible. As he makes an interesting statement, to give unto them beauty for ashes. You know, you can build most anything out of wood. You can create a work of art out of metal. You can build an expensive and beautiful edifice out of brick and mortar. Ah, but friend, God can make beauty out of ashes. Isaiah is a prophet and is looking at the present day in which he lives, and yet he is also speaking prophetically of what will happen in the future with the nation of Israel and what will happen with the church, which is the bride of Christ. In one passage of Scripture, he talks about several major events that are separated by hundreds of years. He speaks of the first coming of Christ. He speaks of the second coming of Christ. He speaks of the judgment of God upon the world for sin. Now, Jesus came first as a baby in Bethlehem's manger. His purpose of coming was to live and die for man, to pay the redemption price for man's sin, to redeem us back to God. I want to make sure every single person in this building understands what I mean by that. You see, God created man, and he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan came and deceived. Satan came and lied. And the Bible said when they disobeyed God, they were ashamed. And that's all sin will ever do for mankind is to shame and embarrass him. 
But God loved man. He did not want to lose his crowning creation to Satan. And so God, the Bible says, he takes a lamb and he takes the blood of the innocent lamb and he takes the life of the lamb and he takes their skins, their coats, and he provides for man a covering. Thus the first picture of a lamb which would represent the day that he would come and John said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. You see, it was sin that separated us from God, but God does not want us to be separated from Him. God wants us to be redeemed to Him. He loves us. He, he prepared hell for the devil and his angels. Heaven is prepared for God's children. But because sin has separated us, God gave His Son to die on the cross that you and I could have our sin payment paid for. Christmas is all about redemption. That's what it's all about. Christ came to pay the price of our sin. So what do I have to do to get this payment applied to my account? Do I have to work? Do I have to be somebody important? Do I have to give a certain amount of money? No. The Bible said it is, first of all, given by grace. That's giving me something I don't deserve. It is received then through simple faith, a childlike faith to just believe that Christ is the payment for our sin. As a five-year-old boy, I prayed and received Christ as my Savior, and he saved me that day. I'm eternally secure in him. Isaiah talks about the first coming of Christ hundreds of years before he was born in Bethlehem's manger. When Jesus was born, the Bible says, as he grew up, he went to the synagogue. It's interesting. If you'll take your Bibles and join me in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, Jesus here uh, is uh, going into the synagogue and uh, the Bible describes it best here. If you'll begin in verse number 16 with me in Luke chapter 4, the Bible says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now that book of Isaiah is what we read a portion of just a few minutes ago. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Prophecy was being fulfilled and they were seeing and hearing it before their very eyes. You see, what Isaiah was talking about was Jesus himself. Notice what he says. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now notice this. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, on Jesus. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. What Isaiah was talking about, I am he. I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. 
I'm the Son of God. And all, and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which was proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. And they went on with the conversation. But Jesus revealed to them that he was the Christ that came to redeem man back to God. Now it's interesting what happens in verse number 3 of Isaiah chapter 61. Jesus did not read. I want you to notice he read only verses 1 and 2. He did not read verse number 3. And when he came to that part, the Bible said he closed the book. Now understand that Isaiah gives several prophecies in a row. They are, they are connected and yet they are separated by hundreds of years. You see, it would be hundreds of years before Christ would come. But that prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus was born of Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit of God. He was born in Bethlehem's manger. He did live. He did go to Calvary and die on the cross. And he did pay for our sin. And you and I are living today in the day of grace or the day of redemption. This is the day that we can call upon him and be saved. But there was another prophecy given in verse number 3 and in verse number 4 and he talked about a judgment that was to come and then he talked about the, uh, the next coming of Christ. For you see Christ came to save us when he comes again, uh, he will meet us in the air. We will leave this world and a judgment will begin on this world for their sin. Now you be careful. Don't you be caught up in the sins of the world thinking this is the way to live. Friend, that could end at just the sounding of the trumpet and the judgment of God would begin on this earth. But then after that, the Lord Jesus, the Bible says, will come back to earth with us and we will, of course, after the battle of Armageddon and a few events like that, uh, we will come and we'll rule and reign with Christ. Now, now these are prophecies given one after another, an illustration I think of about this. Have you ever, um, have you ever, I grew up in the mountains and so there'd be a mountain and then you'd see another mountain behind that and you'd see two or three. They looked like they were connected. But have you ever walked them? You ever thought I'm going to go to that third mountain back there? That was three counties away. They were separated by a lot of distance. Long time, just go up and down the mountain, but it seemed like the next one, there was a distance. Now, it looked like they were connected. And, 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 and you can see that visual in your mind. Isaiah saw all of these mountaintop experiences of prophecy that would be fulfilled. But when Jesus stood up to read, Jesus said, this prophecy is being fulfilled before your very eyes right now. now I want to tell you something. Today is a day of salvation. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, you, you just need to receive him as your Savior. You, you see, your sin has separated you from God. But he came to forgive us our sin and to give us eternal life. But then he makes this statement, and that's the focus of what I want to preach today. He said, I will take the ashes, I will make beauty from ashes. 
There's going to be a wedding for the bride of Christ. That's why Jesus came to get a bride. You and I as a part of the church, uh, you and I as blood-washed Christians, uh, uh, we're, we're part of the bride. And while there are many redemption stories in the book, that will be the redemption of all redemptions when the bride of the church is presented to Christ in all of its glory. And when you think of the phrase, from ashes to beauty, you read the history of the church and the Bible and the years since and the church has certainly been through the fires of trials since the days of the words of the Lord Jesus recorded in Matthew chapter 16. The church has been persecuted. Christians have been burned at the stake. Some sawn asunder. Many dying in prison and yet the church that has been so persecuted will rise from the dust of ashes and be presented to him a glorious church, a bride adorned for her husband. But the truth is that's what Jesus has been doing. That's what God's been doing since the beginning of time when Satan came uh, to deceive man. Uh, Jesus came uh, to redeem man, to rescue man, to restore man, to reclaim man. That is the work of God, the work of redemption. Man, see this morning, God loves you. God loves us. You may be here today and you doubt that because of a, a deceptive word of, of Satan. You may think you have no value. You may think God doesn't love you, but friend, I want you to know God does love you. In fact, he loved us so much he gave his son to die for us, not for good men, but God died for sinful men. You see, when Adam and Eve was in the garden and Satan came and beguiled and lied and deceived and Adam sinned and that separated man from God, God didn't come up with a plan, but the plan was before the foundation of the world because God has always intended for his crowning creation of man to be with him in all eternity. There's so many verses in this matter of redemption uh, that you find uh, uh, in the scripture. Uh, they're not just in the New Testament. They're in the Old. I think of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 111. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. Psalm 130 and verse number 7. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy and with him is plenteous redemption. Isaiah 44 and verse number four, uh, 22. I have blotted out a thick cloud thy transgression and as a cloud thy sins return unto me for I have redeemed thee. The verse I quoted that we most all know for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's work is a work of redemption. We belong to God. He does not want us to be separated by sin and Satan. He wants us to be his own. But it's interesting. It's interesting that he makes a statement from ashes to beauty. Ashes are referred to many times in the word of God. Ashes are associated with destruction. Ashes, ashes are associated with sorrow and mourning. Ashes are associated with failure and tears. Ashes are what is left after something is burned up. 
The Bible says of Job that came under great trial. He lost his wealth and he lost his health. The Bible said that Job sat in the ash heap of the city dump. He was there in pain and agony and sorrow. We find people in the sorrow of sin and shame covering themselves in the Bible with ashes of repentance. And it's interesting that he uses that illustration. He uses that picture from ashes to beauty. You, you, you see often, and it's, it, it's somewhat of a popular thing, to take something uh, that has been used and maybe uh, put away at a yard sale or put away at a uh, consignment shop. Something's been used up. Somebody will take that desk or that shelf or box or whatever it is and make it into something useful. You've seen that, haven't you? That's not what he's talking about. He said, I don't have a piece of broken wood I, I don't have just a few old boxes. I'm not, I'm not talking about bent metal. I'm talking about ashes. I'm talking about when it's completely consumed. I'm talking about when it's totally ruined. You see, you, you, you may say, but preacher, I don't have anything to give to God. I, I don't have anything of any value to give to God. I want to tell you today, we serve a God that's in the redemption business. It's not looking for something that has a little bit of use left. He can even take ashes that have been thrown out of no value just to be thrown away to get out of the way. God said, I can make beauty out of ashes. What a beautiful story. God took David's life after he had sinned and shamed his name in the nation. It seemed that David could never be used again. When you read his prayer of confession in Psalm number 51, you find that David, he, he, he'd lost his joy. Uh, David the songwriter, he had gone beyond not be, uh, uh, the ability to write another song. He said, I don't even want to hear songs sung in my presence. I've lost that joy. There was no value left. But I tell you today, we serve a God that can take ashes and make something beautiful out of it. He made something beautiful out of Jacob's life who was a supplanter, who was a deceiver. And he took Jacob and he made him again and he made him a prince with God. He changed his name to Israel. He made something beautiful out of the life of Saul of Tarshish that some would say there is no value. He's a persecutor even of those that are good and the things that are right. But God took the life of Saul of Tarshish and boy did he make something beautiful out of him. He made something beautiful out of the slaves in the land of Egypt and he made of them the greatest and mightiest nation on the earth, a priestly nation that all the nations of the, of the world would be blessed through. You may be here today or listening to this message and say, but my life has no value. Sin has taken me to the place of destruction and I have no worth. Can I tell you, you don't need any worth to man to have 
have worth to God because he goes to the very end, not when something just has been hurt or broken or bruised. He goes to the very picture of destruction and waste and he said, I'll give you beauty for ashes. A young lady sat in my office some years ago. She had faced some terrible trials and tragedies in her life. She sat in shame before me and she said, but I have no value at all. I do not even feel worthy to live. I have nothing to offer God. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be in a business where you can tell folks, you don't have to have anything left. God will take what you have. He'll take you for where you are. Excuse me while I get excited. Oh, I tell you what, sometimes I just, I, I just get an excitement in my toes. It just starts right up through my legs. I get excited as I, as I think of the many memories. I, I, I think of folks that have been homeless. I think of folks that have been uh, in the gutter and uh, in a drunken stupor. I think of those uh, that I've preached to behind uh, uh, jail uh, bars and, and to see God not only save them, but to make them a servant to make them an instrument to make them a vessel of value that they've been able to even win their family to Christ and others to Christ and they're a trophy of God's grace and God's goodness they're in this building today those that the devil had attempted to destroy their lives in fact the world saw no more value in them and uh, perhaps saw only uh, them as ashes to be thrown away, but God has saved and changed them and now uses them as a tool in their field uh, with the joy of the Lord, realizing that they belong to the King. I've told the story before, but as I was preparing this message, I thought of the life of a man by the name of Mel Trotter. Mel Trotter was a man that was a, it was an alcoholic and in those days uh, there was little to no help and, 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 and he lived a terrible life. Uh, his wife couldn't let him uh, come in the house. He would steal anything to get just a drink of liquor. They got word that he got word that his little daughter had died. He hadn't provided for his wife. He hadn't provided for his children. Mel Trotter went to the funeral of his own daughter. Just a little, just a little infant. Just, 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 a, just, a, just a little baby. Mel Trotter took the shoes off of that infant in the casket. Mel Trotter sold those baby shoes from the corpse of his own baby, sold them for a drink of cheap liquor. He was low as men could go. But one day, somebody told Mel Trotter, Jesus came to save sinners. And that he would save anybody. He could hardly believe what he was hearing, that God would save a man like me. God not only saved Mel, Mel Trotter, he used him to build some of the most successful 
missions in America. For others who had found or Satan had ruined their lives with alcohol. And a many a man was saved because God took the ashes of what was left and he made something beautiful. That's what Christmas is about. Two years ago, I was preaching in the town of Perry, Arkansas. It's a little town. I think the population is less than 1,500. I believe that's right. And a small church there, Church on a Hill, good pastor, a friend of mine. And I wondered about Perry, Arkansas. How did this town come into being? And I, and I started reading about Perry, Arkansas. And one of the things that was most noted about Perry, Arkansas, it was a place that Sam Jones died. Now, Sam Jones was a well-known evangelist, and he had finished a revival meeting in Perry, Arkansas, and upon getting on the train, he had a heart attack and died. Sam Jones, his life was so wrecked and ruined by sin and alcohol. Here's what happened. He went into a saloon with no money. He begged the bartender for a drink of liquor. As he sat on the bar stool, there was a mirror there. And he saw himself. He hadn't seen himself in some time, not in a mirror. And he said, Sam Jones, is that you? The great lawyer, is that you, Sam Jones? He was so disgusted with himself that he left the bar and he heard the gospel. Not only did he trust Christ as Savior, Sam Jones became a great revivalist. God used him. You, you see, think about it. Isn't it amazing what a carpenter can build with wood? Isn't it amazing what you can take steel and brick and mortar and build? Some of the beautiful buildings of our cities and towns, I mean, their, their beauty is overwhelming. I mean, I mean, you can take marble and tile and, 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 and make things of great beauty. But God doesn't say, give me some good wood and I'll build a life. G give me some marble maybe even if it's cracked it doesn't matter give me some marble uh, give me some steel and mortar and 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 bricks and i can make something good that's not what he says to give unto them beauty for ashes now let me close with this i'm gonna go from beginning to end take your bibles go to first corinthians 15 as you go to first corinthians 15 i want you to think in Genesis, the Bible says that God created the world. I believe God is a creator. And the Bible says that God took the dust of the earth. <laughs> he took the dust of the earth and he formed man. Think with me now. He took the dust of the earth and he formed man. He then breathed into him 
into his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living soul. If God can take dust and make man, cannot that same God take ashes and make beauty? We've got something more to look forward to. Even though we've enjoyed victory in our Christian life and there are many trophies of God's grace even among us today for every person that is a child of God. You were not a good person that got saved. You and I were all sinful people headed to the same place. While our sins may have been different in name, the wages of our sin was all the same and we were headed for a devil's hell. But by grace he saved us and he gave to us eternal life. But that's not the end. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and notice this, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, our body is corruptible, it is corrupt must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. The question is then asked, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying? One of these days, the bodies that are already in the grave, and they've returned to the dust from which they came, friend, one day that body of corruption is going to be raised. He's going to take those ashes and he is going to give a body like unto his. He's going to give a body that'll never fail, that'll never hurt, that'll never sin, that'll never have a wrong thought, that'll never uh, displease God or self again. He'll take those ashes and those corruptible and he'll make us incorruptible. He'll take the body of man that is mortal and he'll make it immortal and you and I will live in eternity forever with Christ. That is what Christmas is all about. He came to redeem man back to him. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to ask you to stand with me if you will please. Most here today, you remember the time, you remember the place that you realize that you were a sinner and you needed a Savior. And you prayed that sinner's prayer and you said, Lord, forgive me of my sin. There was that recognition, that repentance of sin and at the same time an action of faith that said, Lord, I believe you and forgive me of all those sin and save me. Perhaps you're here today and you've never received Christ as Savior. You want to make this the best Christmas you've ever had? You can do so by receiving the gift of eternal life in this day. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder if there are folks here today that would say, Preacher, 
I've never received Christ as Savior. I know I need to. I promise you, I won't embarrass you. I won't say your name. won't come to you. I just want to know. Are there folks here today you've never received Christ? You know you need to. Would you raise your hand? Let me pray for you this morning. I've never received Christ. I know I need to do that. God bless you. Are there those others that raise your hand? I need to trust Christ. Now in just a moment after I pray, he's going to sing the invitation song. If you're here and you've never received Christ, I want you to step out of your seat. If you're with a friend, it's all right if a friend would come with you to the front. Let us take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure heaven is your home. Receive the gift of eternal life. You're here as a Christian. Thank God that he's redeemed you. You and I get to help take part in the redeeming business. Isaiah said, there's none that crieth restore. You and I need to have the voice that cries restore. God can make you whole again. Heavenly Father, I pray for those that need to know you as Savior personally today. And then, Lord, I pray for those of us that are your children already, that we would recognize how wonderful it is to be your child and to be redeemed from our sin. Dear God, I pray that you'd help us in our invitation that the spiritual decisions that should be made, they will be made today. In Jesus' name, amen.